0: We didn't want it to be about consuming as much as we wanted it to be about hospitality. And so in order to do that, we had to, um, and we wanted to invite other people to participate and to give and to share what they had. Uh, and that that movement has shaped a lot of who we are and how we operate. That it's not just me as the ordained pastor, not just me as the, the paid missionary uh, or me and my wife who do the work. It's all of us together who do it. And that shapes a lot of what we do and what we've done.
1: Welcome to In the Room with Communitas North America. It's a time when we invite you to enter our world for a brief conversation and hear more about what we are passionate about as a missional and microchurch network. We also hope that these conversations will inspire you to think about new ways of being the church in North America. I am Leon Longard, the team lead for Communitas North America. My co-host in these conversations is James Cola. So grab yourself a favorite beverage, have a seat, and join us around the table.
2: Hey guys. What's guys?
0: How y'all doing?
1: I'm doing well. All right. Well, hey, we, we've this is like a historic our first program where we've had the a taped intro. So uh, this is new for us. Um, and I guess we kinda of off on who starts what now because of it. <laughs> so, I don't know, James. Did you need to do an intro at this point or should I just go with the guest? No, now? I think we're I think we're good to go. All right. Well then, hey, I will introduce our guest. I'm Leon. James is here. Uh, we have Greg Ellis with us. He is a Communitas staff member um, in here in Minnesota. We're actually only a couple, maybe an hour and a half, hour, two hours from each other. Um, okay. I'm, no, I'm northwest of Minneapolis and Greg is southwest of Minneapolis uh, working with a project called The Table down there. And we're going to have Greg talk about uh, there's some things they've been doing um, really or microchurch and how do you how do you disciple well in a microchurch and that's what we're going to just talk about some tools for discipleship in a microchurch but before we get going greg maybe you want to tell a little bit of your story how you got connected with communitas and uh, background things like that
0: sounds great thanks thanks for the intro leon and thanks leon and james for having me on uh, i'm honored um so i lead a, a little house church called the table uh, last Sunday night, uh, when everybody me- w- or when we met, we had five people <laughs> that wasn't everybody. Uh, but it was, it was actually most of our crew on a regular night. We've got nine. I right now, um, I didn't intend to plant a micro church. Um, what we have now called the table started out as a church plant out of the evangelical covenant church where I'm an, or- an ordained pastor. So I had been leading a traditional model church. I actually was the final pastor of a church in in Richfield, Minnesota, where we closed a church that had 106-year history. And the main reason that that church closed is discipleship. Discipleship and evangelism. And so I was looking for some other models to do it. And as we started, I was feeling, as we started uh, launching this new thing, this new table, a new church called The Table. I wanted to do something different, and I felt the Lord impressing upon my spirit that we were going to be growing more slowly, and we were also going to be smaller than I had planned. Um, When I told that to the director of church planting at the time, uh, for both the national as well as the regional level, they they didn't really know what to do with the house church. This this was a decade ago, Um, and so I didn't know what to do either. Fortunately, the Lord gifted us with two people in our core team who had been trained by Christian associates, the name before Commoditas, uh, to be uh, missionaries in, in Paris. Uh, they were going to be working in uh, a cafe type setting. And they said, what you're wanting to do sounds just like communitas. You should, you should meet these people. Uh, and so I met some of the people and I thought, these are my people, uh, and so I've been walking with Community tasks for probably the last uh, eight or nine years, um, and it's been really, really good to have other people who want to do church in a different way, who want to follow Jesus well, um, but also know that there are other models that the church needs um, to to be alongside uh, the established church and the prevailing church model uh, to do something else because. The prevailing church model isn't reaching everybody. Uh, And so some other expressions are needed. And so that's kind of how it started. Anything else that you'd like me to fill in?
1: I think that's good. Um, We do have to talk about the fact that you are a foodie.
0: uh, (laughs) Yes we we are we are foodies and and to be completely honest when we started the table uh that was kind of the idea that it was going to be foodie church uh so we we meet sunday nights uh and we start with a meal my wife is a trained chef uh, she had her own catering business with her mom uh, for 15 years and so we love food and we love uh being hospitable we love having people around the table um but pretty early on uh, in our iteration, we we realized that we didn't want it to be about consuming as much as we wanted it to be about hospitality. And so in order to do that, we had to, um, and we wanted to invite other people to participate and to give and to share what they had. Uh, and that that movement has shaped a lot of who we are and how we operate. That it's not just me as the ordained pastor, not just me as the the paid missionary uh, or me and my wife who do the work. It's all of us together who do it. And that shapes a lot of what we mm-hmm. do and what we've done.
2: It's cool. A lot of good stuff there. Just in, <laughs> just in that, I love, I love the idea of church around a meal. I love the idea of like oh we're, we're all bringing something to this gathering we're all bringing something to this church and even those like simple things of like you brought something to share for us to eat perceiving is that that is like hey i'm giving you some of the responsibility in this it's really cool i also love to hear the like oh i started to hang out community Communitas people and i was like oh these are my people i've heard i hear that story so so much with community it's just fun Um, One of the questions that's come up for me as we have just been having a couple conversations around discipleship is when we talk about discipleship as a function of the church, what is it that we are desiring to see produced through that? Greg?
0: So I already mentioned part of it. I don't think we're trying to create consumers, but participants. And if if you want to get super theological, I could say that we are participants in the divine nature of Jesus. Um, if you want to go a, a little bit more lowbrow, um, like we, when we do discipleship, I want to create people who live like Jesus in the world in their neighborhoods, in their families, at their workplace, um, and, and model that for what, yeah, what that looks like to the people around them.
1: Cool. That's good. And I think that's what I think we really want to see. It's almost like we want to see little Jesus's in, in, in our communities. Okay. Yeah, we're not Jesus, but it's at the same time, I think we can live out the life of Jesus around with people around us and it's just it's a it's a catchy
0: thing it's and and that's that's what happened in Antioch the first place where Christians were called Christians they needed a different term for this place the only place in the Roman Empire the only segment of society where people of different strata classes as well as different ethnicities got together and got along It was in the church. And so they had no category for this. It wasn't really Jewish anymore. It was Jewish adjacent. And and so it was in Antioch where they needed a new term. And they picked Christian, which is literally like little Jesus. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's the, that, that is, I mean, with all the, the, the baggage we have today about that word, that's really what it was about. And I think that's what we have to remember with discipleship. So yo or did you have some follow-up i was just gonna say when we frame
2: the the word christian as this word means little messiah like that is it's just powerful to think about it it is that way
1: yeah yeah like that is so what are some, maybe some tools or methods of discipleship that you found to be constructive in your experiences at the table?
0: I'll start small and go big. Um, I already talked about inviting people um, to, to participate actively. Um, whether, whether it's because we're having a potluck or we're having a theme type meal where, okay, uh, this last week, uh, we recognized Cinco de Mayo. So we, we had, uh, Mexican food. And so if you wanted to bring something Mexican, like we could do that. Um, so that's part of it, but discipleship living like Jesus in every aspect of our life. Um, it starts in how we welcome people. And so, when we have first-time guests, I actually love how this works around the table. Because how how our evening goes, we start uh, with a meal. Uh, so we normally, I normally talk about, okay, this is who we are, this is how the night is going to go. I'll pray for the meal, and then then we then we eat, um, and then we just have conversation around the table. Um, for a while, I was using little conversation cards because people were rusty. They didn't really know how to have a conversation, but around the table, we talk, um, like a fan, like the family dinner table that I grew up with where growing up in spring Lake park, Minnesota, it was expected that whether we had a game or not, whether we had practice or s- homework or whatever, we still found time as a family. My parents were amazing, uh, where we would sit down and eat together and they'd always ask, so what did you, what'd you do in school today? And my brother and I would respond in unison, not much. Um, But that I think is is also discipleship, how we converse with one another, how how we relate uh, and how we um, support and encourage and also are curious about one another. So that's where it starts. Um, And then at the close of the meal, we always take communion together. Um, And it's normally I, but sometimes other people too have used the words of institution to talk about, this is the body of Christ that's broken. And we retell that story. And then what happens is because we're sitting around a table or sometimes a couple tables, um, I take the bread and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And I turn to the person who's next to me and I say it to them they take off a piece, they take the bread and offer it to the person who's next to them. And for me, that's such a powerful example of what it means to do evangelism is we give the little, the the little bit of Jesus that we know and that we have, we know we have imperfect understanding, but what I have, I turn and give to the person who's closest to me. (laughs) And I, I think that's, that's discipleship. And we do the same thing with the juice. Um, then we move into like a, a normal, what I would call a normal worship service where we have some prayer and some singing and some teaching, but the teaching isn't me standing up because I'm the professionally trained person giving everything that I know because I'm the only person who has the knowledge. Uh, we actually have much more of a conversation and often um, the people around our table know uh, the topic Uh, sometimes they'll know the scripture that it's based on so that they can contribute. And we continue our conversation. And I say continue because something really fascinating has has happened in the, in the almost 10 years that we've been in existence. There's only been one first time guest who did not, or who spoke around the table, who did not speak like in the church time. Because there's something about welcoming other people and being f- feeling like you're welcome and you're part of a family, then they just they come to the next part and they know that they have something to share because they have personal experiences. So I do that. Um, and then, when we get to the very end of the night, um, when we started, I always ended with the numbers six benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. And it was my job as the pastor to bless people as they go. And at some point, I don't remember if this is my idea or somebody else's, it just felt wrong for me to be blessing everybody else. So now we all recite it and we bless each other as we go, because that's kind of the model. And I think that's what it means to be a disciple, where there isn't just one professionally religious person who does all the work. My job is to train and equip people for the work of ministry. And I think that's what discipleship is. So that's some of the ways that it looks on a weekly basis. Um, I think discipleship also looks like service. Our favorite place to serve has been uh, feed my starving children. We've got an organization here in the twin cities that sends uh, pre-packaged food all over the world um, to make sure that kids get enough nutrition uh, to, to go to school or stay in school or respond to a national crisis. So serving is good. And then the other thing is reading the Bible. Um, I'm a big fan of reading the Bible and reading large chunks. So you get the text as well as the context. And so I think the reason that Leon invited me to have this conversation is I told him what we did Um, last year from October to September, we read through the Bible uh, in a year as a church. We chose a chronological Bible reading plan, and we read through the Bible, um, starting in the beginning, went to the end, and we made it through in a year. And I've got lots of stories to tell there, but I know I've been talking for a long time. So let's make this more of a conversation. How does that fit with your experience of what discipleship looks like in the church,
2: Greg, you're here to talk, talk oh <laughs> we get to just let you go <laughs> oh, maybe um, a simple drink. <laughs> i did want to just maybe reiterate two themes from that time you spent sharing one of them is i have been having conversations about about discipleship which has just been a theme i've been addressing a lot lately giving away responsibility has been just something that's like sitting with me a lot and like it's intimidating to give away responsibility but it's so essential Hmm. I can and I hear you doing that in your model letting people share and letting people like offer communion to the person next to them it's a really big deal
0: we we also let other people host it's not just at our our house, depending on the week, uh, there's another family that hosts. Uh, and previously there was a, a a third family that hosted too, um, who moved uh, from our part of the world. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's been huge. And I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, but I do like to control outcomes. I like things to be as polished as possible. And I have to give up some of that. But but here was some of our thinking behind that, where if Eric and Kathy are going to um, be inviting people to church, to how we do it, in, in a relatively churched context, where most a lot of the people we're trying to meet have some connection to church. Either they went Christmas and Easter at kids, or grandma dragged them to church, or something like that. A lot of people here kind of know what church is. And we're doing church differently and so that that can be uh, hard. We're doing it at a different time. We're doing it at a house. People don't know what to expect. So if Eric and Kathy, the other couple who host, are going to invite one of their friends or one of their couple friends to, to join them at church, they're more likely to show up at Eric and Kathy's home where they have already spent time just kind of hanging out socially. And so that was part of it kind of lowering the the bar for entry and preferred participation, making sure that it's as easy as possible for other people to to kind of step in. Mm.
1: That's good. That's
2: good. Yeah, Yeah. that absolutely makes sense. Like, you're just creating some familiarity for people who might be new. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. The other thing you mentioned that I that really grabbed my attention was um, this idea of like discipling the skill of conversation. That i that idea crossed my mind reading a book uh, like a couple of years ago and Leon and I were just teaching a class together. And one of the like, one of the weeks in the class, we were talking about building deep relationships with your neighbors. And it just came to mind for me in the midst of that it was like, we just need to be good at having rich conversations with people. And I don't know that people always think of that as a skill to be developed, but I, I think it needs to be. I, I know that like, I struggle with engaging people, engaging people in like a meaningful way and it's totally a skill.
0: And now when we're post pandemic, right? People even lost the skill of small talk. Like, what yeah. what do you say? Do, do, do I shake hands? Do I fist bump? Do I elbow bump? Do I give you a, a big bear hug? It, it's biblical to give a holy kiss. We, 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 just, we certainly don't do that. Uh, but people don't know what to do. And I think it's as basic also as people don't know how to introduce themselves or be introduced. Um, I don't know how many times In the process, when uh, my wife Carrie and I were uh, starting the church and we were visiting other churches for one reason or another, we would go to a place where we were not known, but it felt like everybody else knew each other. And so I would, you know, start with somebody or they would start with me and I'd say, hi, I'm Greg. And they say, yeah, we recognize that you're new here. And where'd you come from? And they, I would realize like five seconds in, he hasn't given me his name and he's not going to give me his name because he knows that everybody who already matters knows his name. It's like, but I'm on the outside and I don't know his name. And and so we kind of do this thing of like, we've taught our people how to introduce themselves. <laughs> and it sounds so basic, but you know, what? when else do you learn that? hmm and james i I love the idea that we need to develop the skill of going deep we also need to develop the skill of small talk
2: yeah
0: yeah i got i got that around my table like um one of the things that came behind the name is uh it was actually uh taking a dave ramsey financial peace class um whatever you want to uh, about uh dave ramsey but it was really helpful for us um that real important things happen at the kitchen table, right? Mm -hmm. This is where you pay bills. This is where you make decisions. This is where you play games. Like so many of these things that were so formative in my life and really, really important don't happen at this super fancy marble slab, right? It's, it's a, it's a scratched up wooden table that still has crayon from when you were seven. Um, and that's that spot where you left uh, a, a glass that had condensation on it. And I left a gla- uh, you know, one of those water spots, right? That's, that's real life. And that's what the table looks like. And we loved all the different ways that table was used in scripture, as well as that idea of like, no real life happens around the table. And that's kind of where the name came from. And I think embedded in that too, is that's one of the places that I learned to pray. And I, I started with memorized recited prayers before every meal that we sat down together, we recited come Lord Jesus, be our guest. And you know, that, that prayer, that's part of where I learned to pray. Mm. Discipleship happens at the table.
1: Yes, yes, it does.
2: So. Greg, would you be willing, speaking of speaking of the table, would you be willing to share a couple of stories of discipleship, maybe from your micro church that you're pastoring, maybe just from your background?
0: Of course. Um, so. One happened where when we were starting to grow, we were letting people know that we wanted other people to host as well. And there there was a couple who really wanted to host, but they also said, we've never had someone who wasn't family inside our house. Like, how do we do it? And we're kind of messy. Like, how much do we need to clean up? And and there, there was just amazing opportunities for discipleship there. And part of it was, we, we know you. We love you. We're not surprised by the mess. <laughs> <laughs> right and, and and i i mean that in as charitable way as as possible because when you actually get to know someone you know a lot about them and then the, these other things that we think sometimes might be a big deal they're like that's not a big deal cuz i know you and i care about you and if if you want us in your house we want to be there um so so that that was a small thing um we as the table God has used us in some really interesting ways where one of the main ways that God has used us, and this has happened three or four times in our almost 10 years where someone has either been a part of us or found us right around the time their life falls apart. Um We had two women younger than 40 pass away uh, separate, separately and unrelated. One was uh, very much as a su- surprise. Uh, the other was a cancer diagnosis and we got to walk through with these families and be deep community, a place that yeah. knew them that provided meals that prayed with them and cried with them. Like that's real discipleship. It's not all, you know, fantastic and happy and really light. We got to do some really heavy stuff. We had a woman who, got divorced and then ch- traded that bad marriage for a unhealthy relationship to gambling. And mm. she was with us uh, for a season while she got healthy. And we were again, a place of deep community when she really needed people to love her just as she was, but also invite her into something more. And I think the church, when the church is the church, it does really well saying, I know where you are and I'm going to love you right now because God loves you right now, but I want better for you. Um, we also had a a friend who was with us for a season, uh, as she was discerning her call to, you know, what, what does God really want for me in the season? And she's now start, she started a garden, um, near the border of San Diego, Tijuana, and she's working on feeding displaced persons as well as using the garden as a place to heal trauma. And it's cool. absolutely fantastic. And we yeah. love that she kind of understood that when she was with us. So for us, some of the discipleship stories have been around people really finding bottom and finding us around the same time uh, mm-hmm. where we could be deep community. That's not what I had hoped. <laughs> um, uh, but but uh, God and I have had lots of conversations about that. And if that's how God chooses to use us, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let, me give one other example, if you don't mind, oh, please, um, don't. I want to talk about reading through the Bible in a year. I was, I've already mentioned Eric and Kathy. They're one of the families that host, um, Eric, the, the husband is in his, in his fifties. He's been going to church, uh, since he was in, since he was a teenager. Um, and if I understand the correct, the story correctly, he's kind of started going because Kathy was going like way back in high school. Um, sure. So Eric has been around church a lot. He's more of a comic book guy than a reader. And so he knew a lot of the stories, um, but he hadn't spent a whole lot of time reading and he really didn't like to read. And so for me, scripture is essential for the life of, of a Jesus follower. We have to know what Jesus said and taught and what Jesus believed and what the scriptures were that he used. And so Um, It was not only, but a big part of my desire to read through the Bible from beginning to end chronologically. Um, I had Eric in mind because I wanted Eric to fall in love with the words of scripture and seeing God in them. And so we read, Uh, we started and I I chose a few options and together we chose uh, the one that we decided on, uh, called read the Bible for life, I think, or reading God's story. Uh, I found it on you version and I can share that link, uh, if you want. Um, and I was pretty sure actually that about six weeks in that reading through the Bible in a year was going to kill my church. <laughs> um, because it was a lot. And at that time, you know, six weeks in, uh, we're getting, into, into Genesis and some of, some of Job, even like it was, it was hard. And the reading plan that we chose had six days of reading uh, about four chapters or so each day. Seventh day was for catch up or just a day off. Um, and the first, like first couple of weeks were good, but then we got into this place where it's like, nobody had done all the reading except me because I knew I was leading the conversation and this is part of my job. Um, and in a small group, you can only show up so many weeks in a row and say, sorry, didn't do the reading, not ready for a conversation. Um, but we all found a way to do it. Some of us chose to to listen to the text uh, using the, the Bible app rather than uh, actually reading it or reading it and listening to it. Um, but that was good. We made it all the way through to make a, short story long, Uh, we, we made it all the way through and we celebrated at the end. And about a week later, Eric said to me, I miss it. I, I'm, I'm going to start reading again in, in a regular <clears throat> way. So, so he actually picked up his, his, his Bible and he used like the, I, I think he said, I'm going to start with Moses. I like the Moses story. So I started reading in Deuteronomy. Then he remembered, oh yeah, that's right. This is the end of Moses story. So he went back to Exodus and then he, he started reading and he's continued to read. And so there is something about, even though it was hard. The discipline was helpful. Hearing God's voice was helpful. And Eric has changed and so much so that he got to the point where Moses's wife, um, I, I, I'm not going to say the actual word so you can, you know, keep your G rating. uh, But there, there was that thing for, for Moses's son that Moses's wife puts to his feet. And like, there's this thing, he's like, Greg, what's that about? I don't understand what just, can you explain this to me? And I have no memory of reading this first time through. How did I miss it? So not only was Eric reading second time through, but he was reading really carefully and and with a lot of nuance and a lot of depth and had really good Mm. questions. And so I know that through the year, Eric and his his perspectives changed and he grew as a Jesus follower. Mm. Cool.
2: That's One of the things that we haven't said directly yet, but is clearly a strength of your community. People are just being vulnerable. And I'm really curious how as a community you guys nurtured that.
0: So one of the things that was a challenge for me at the beginning is I discovered pretty quickly that we were primarily introverts in. So right now in our group of eight of us who are there regularly, I think I'm the only one who on a personality test would show up as an E everybody else, you know, somewhere on the spectrum, but leaning towards introversion. And so that does a couple things. Number one, there are very few people except me who speak without thinking, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, which, which I'm working on. Thanks be to God. Um, but also, it, it yeah, it, that's, that's made for so many good conversations. Part of it has been getting to really know one another and spending time. Um, half of these people were with us from the beginning. So we've been together for nine years. And because of how we do it, um, we've developed intimacy, um, because we do share real stuff, real things that are going on in in our lives. And from time to time, we'll ask people to pray for us. This is, this is what's going on in our life. Will you be, will you think about me this week? Um, we use a group me app or the group me app to, to text one another, communicate, um, during the week. And so we're involved in one another's lives. Um, but for us that intimacy comes i think by me as the primary leader normalizing deep sharing mm. um yeah we we do really well at the surface level and and we've done a lot of work to go a little bit deeper and then the stuff that's even really really personal like that's taken time but it. I, as I think back over our decade, I do think that some of that was because I was willing to um, yeah. share pretty personally. Yeah. And, and they were too. And for introverts, it's not that they don't like to talk. It's that they don't need to. <laughs> um, and, and they're much more comfortable in a small group you know, maybe one or two or three, you know, nine is starting to feel a little bit big for some of them, but because they know each other, it doesn't feel as bad. So they're still willing to share. Um, So I think it actually helped when we were smaller that we had introverts because introverts are actually really good at going deep Mm -hmm. and they just, they don't always have to share it where extroverts are often a little bit more, um, they're less aware and more afraid of what's going on internally. In- introverts, they know what's there and sometimes they are willing to share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good.
2: That's good. I imagine that mealtime probably has contributed to that as well.
0: And consistency. Most, most of our people show up every week we we have rhythms where uh, every week out of the month but one we we meet and i didn't require this but when people started to host and people started to provide food rather than doing potluck people started to share i'm not going to be there this week because this this thing is going on because it's really helpful for the host to know how much food to prepare okay. and so even even that sort of sharing like i under, they I know that people recognize that their presence is important and they're missed when they're gone. And when you have a church of hundred people, you may or may not recognize when someone's gone for a week, you'll recognize when they're gone for several, but when you have the small group that we do, you recognize it and they are missed. Um, and yeah, that certainly helped and timer on the table, small talk, living life together certainly has helped that familiarity and familiarity grew to intimacy right right
1: you know i want to go back to i think some of those people that you've said have come in through through, over different times when they're like they were at the the bottom point and it kind of leads into um that kind of one of the questions we had on here kind of beginning you know i just think about something like that i'm like that cannot happen in that hundred person church the same way. I feel like there's some uniqueness to the micro church that, that context compared to the prevailing model church, it just allows mm. for the type of stuff you're talking about to happen. Mm. I mean, do you, I mean, what are some other ways maybe you see that?
0: So I think it was probably back in the 1980s. James, do you remember those? Um <laughs> Shoot. Um, That bigger churches started experimenting with the small group model because they recognized that something was missing from the larger church experience. And our church, uh, for for people who, who know church and church systems and who have been around since the 80s, like one of the ways that I can explain it to them is like this is like all of our church feels like a really close small group. Uh, and so I, I do think that relationships is one of the things that we do exceedingly well. I think I think there's a reason that Jesus chose twelve. <laughs> right, that there, it, it's big enough where you can have really deep and robust conversations, and you have people who don't agree on things, uh, and you get to work out that conflict. Uh, but it's also small enough where you get to be really. Intense and deep with one another, and trust one another really, really deeply. And I think the micro church can do that really well. Um, I think another thing that has been a gift for us is we don't pay rent, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and I'm paid the same small stipend since when we started, right? Because I'm, I'm co-vocational or bi-vocational I I work as a leadership coach I've worked as a high school teacher and a number of other things in order to make sure that the table can continue to exist and we have more money in the bank today than when we started and I, I think that's another thing like financial stewardship so much more goes out than comes in and when when we don't have high um high line items for, for rent and like health insurance and all, all those other things, like so much uh, higher percentage goes out to support, um, support people in this model than in the prevailing church model.
1: Yeah.
2: Mission is clearly like a that big, large value for the table. You've brought it up multiple times here. You're talking about the finances you are like able to dedicate to it because of the model that you're using. Um, I wonder, love to know how that has contributed to discipleship in your community.
0: The primary, primary way that we have chosen to support people is through relationship. So again, one of the other things that we are strong on, um, there was one Sunday when I was speaking at uh Prevailing Model Church. Uh, they asked me to you know come in and do the do the sermon and and I did that and there I met some some missionaries who were going to go do this thing and I loved their story. And so I invited them to come to the table and they came to the table and we got to love them and care for them. And so when they went out to Thailand, we supported them because we could mm-hmm. when when our friend Angeli um, moved out to San Diego, uh, we supported her right and yeah and so it's it's out of relationship and so because we are a small micro expression of what the church is um it's really easy for us to see the connection between us and that person and then we've also had them at our table we've also had those conversations with them where we are invested in their lives and we care about those things, and so of course we're going to care about their ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so for me, it's been it's been that sort of thing where the people that we have chosen to support have primarily been people that we already have deep connections with, mm. and because we have a deep connection with them, and we've seen, like in Angelie's case, we've seen that grow and develop. And of course we want to be involved in that thing that we saw God birth uh, while she was with us. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: And it was that if you want to go back to, to the Bible, it was in Antioch, that place where people were first called Christians that sends out Barnabas and mm-hmm. Paul, like they're, they're yeah. the first missionary sending church. So yeah. that, that should be a hallmark and i love that even though yeah. you know we're a tiny church of 9 there are times when i say that you know we've sent people out doing cross cultural yeah. missions right and and we're 9 right and so it's it's a beautiful thing
2: yeah yeah how exciting for your community to see that happen like to see someone experience that invitation from god while being part of your faith community and then as an extension of your faith community, moving and living out those values in a new mm-hmm. space. That's just cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, regarding like more local mission, like the work that you guys, it sounds like you guys partner with Feed My Starving Children.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. How mm-hmm. do you think that has related to discipleship at the table?
0: So right now in this season, we are spending time with personality types and how how we can know God differently according to our personality type, not so we're just navel gazing, but using that as a springboard to talk about spiritual things. Um, And one of the differences between the S's, the observant or the sensing type, and the Mm. intuitive personality, like practical, tangible, sensible things that you can touch, feel, and taste are really important to S's, the sensory people, the observant mm-hmm. type. And so doing things that are practical and tangible, not just talking in metaphor, not just using, not just using parables, right? But actually doing something that provides tangible good makes deep sense uh, to people who would mm-hmm. register that way in that personality type. And I think that's that's part of how God has wired us. And we need both. And the church needs both. Um, and that's I think part of how God has wired us. So I think it's an expression of who we are as a community because it's a, a primary expression of how some of us are naturally. Mm-hmm. Does that hold?
1: Yeah. That yeah absolutely. Yeah, definitely. one of the
2: things I hear. I mean, I think let me try to repeat that key what I'm hearing in <laughs> that. And you can tell me if I'm off. Um It sounds like that by recognizing your differences and valuing the differences in others, and even the space that you're giving to what others lead, the whole community is experiencing God in ways that they might not pursue on their own. Mm -hmm. Like, if these S types are that value of like doing something with their hands is important. The types that are not so prone to that get to engage God through that, even though it's not their like first impulse.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And for me, it's it's also come into starker relief as we're talking, that's what we talked about this last week, the difference between the, the N and the S personality type. And so it's really clear in my mind, but we were doing that well beforehand. Um, and I, I think part of it is my personality type as primary leader, where I love variety. I love spontaneity. I love doing lots of different things. I get kind of bored easily. And so we can do lots of different things. We, we can do things where, you know, people aren't, might not, you know, put money in the collection plate. We no longer have a collection plate. Um, And so there have been times where we go out and we do something rather than just sitting around and consuming. Like we talked about early, um, And it's about doing, it's about giving, it's about following Jesus tangibly, Mm -hmm. not just with our minds, Mm -hmm. but when, because when Jesus was asked, what was the most important commandment? His answer was beautifully holistic. And it summarized the Old Testament, like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of who you are, and also love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Mm -hmm. so... I try to make sure that throughout a quarter we are loving God well with our heart, with our soul, with our mind and with our strength. Hmm. Cool. That's
1: That's good. Well, I don't see any viewer questions. Um, We rarely ever have audience questions in the live, but if um, somebody's watching this video later, go ahead and put, you know, thoughts, questions you have in the comments, either Facebook or YouTube. Um, also, um, I did post a link to feed my starving children there. Um, I will post also the uh, or if you got the link to the U version um, study, I'll I'll get that posted in there. Or if you want to post it right in there, you probably can too, right in the software. Uh, and um, other thing is. Um, we want to encourage, Greg one of our missionaries, and we're starting to do this more. We encourage people that these people work um, often are co-vocational, but they do draw some some pay or some of their sustenance through um, missions contributions or ministry contributions. And uh, we'll put up a link for ways that you can uh, support Greg and his work as well, him and Carrie. Um, they're wonderful people, wonderful friends. Um, in fact, I have to. I have to finish with the story where we invited Greg and Carrie. Actually, we were inviting all the Minnesota community house people up to our house just a little bit before Christmas. And Greg and Carrie were the only ones who could make it that night. Um, and I told Tina, I said, "Yeah, she's a caterer, and he's a, like. They really are into good cooking and good food." And we were like, "Oh my! <laughs> Hopefully, we're up to snuff." They were wonderful guests. They were great.
0: <laughs> uh, so so if I if I can just say something uh, about that, if you know foodies um, and whether this is for you two yeah. or anybody else who, who who's listening, if you know foodies, one of the best things that you could do is invite them over for a meal or invite them out for a meal. Carrie, actually, um, we Carrie and I celebrated my birthday belatedly uh, this weekend, and we went to a restaurant in downtown or in Minneapolis called Kaluna, owned by a woman chef who is being nominated for a James Beard Award, uh, and yeah. her guest chef was another James Beard Award-winning uh, chef, uh, both of them named Anne here in the Twin Cities. And Chef Anne made the comment that one of the greatest gifts she receives is when people cook for her because no one wants to cook for uh, – a chef. It's but the right. truth is we just love food and we, we love what goes into it. We love what happens around it. Um, and so it's not just the food, it's the experience. So that's a gift that you could give anybody, make somebody a meal, share it with them. Yeah. It's so
2: good. Yes. Um, Greg, this has been a delight. I enjoyed chatting with you and getting to hear from you. Uh, invitation in two weeks, we will be talking with, our friend Troy Cady about just connecting with our neighbors. So invite people to join and listen into that. I think that's a wrap.
1: All right. Well, see everybody. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for In The Room with Communitas North America. In the show notes, you will find links to any resources we mentioned during the, our conversation. If you are interested in learning more about connecting and working with Comunitas North America in our mission of starting and shaping faith communities that love like Jesus, click on the link for our website in the show notes to learn more and fill out a, the contact form. We hope you will be joining us again soon.